Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Well, let's get into the Word this morning uh, as we just continue the uh, series that we're in, Dinners with Jesus. Dinner with Jesus. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a socially awkward dinner or meal? You ever had a socially awkward dinner or meal or maybe a socially awkward conversation or interaction with someone? Am I the only one that's ever had that? Uh, well, I, 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 I was just kind of trying to, you know, you search for illustrations. When you're a pastor, you look for illustrations. And, and I came across this website, BuzzFeed, and I don't know anything about BuzzFeed. So this is not, I am not promoting BuzzFeed. I don't know anything about BuzzFeed. But they had a list of, of, of some common, awkward social interactions. And what was great is they put a percentage by it as to the awkwardness uh, that they believe these kind of socially awkward interactions are. So let me just share with you a few of them because maybe you've... You've, you've had some of these, and maybe you'd give them an awkward score uh, as well. How about the person that wears the same outfit as you did when you show up to a party? You, like, walk up, and you're, like, in the same thing. How many find that to be awkward? Anybody ever had that happen before? That's a little, that's a little awkward. They gave that a 45% awkward, so that's not too awkward. About 45%. How about the person who traps you in a chat or conversation that you don't really want to talk to? Anybody ever had that happen? Right? And, 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 and come on, the full transparency, you've been in the grocery store, and you're like, oh, oh, you try to avoid the aisle, right? And then all of a sudden, you're in an aisle, and they come up, and you're like, you can't avoid it, and you have to be in that conversation, right? Can we just be real? Can we be real people here? Any of you had that happen? Yep, come on, 66% awkward, that's what they said. How about this one? You, you walk up to somebody, and you greet them, maybe it's a, maybe you're, maybe, maybe it's a handshake or a hug or maybe even a kiss on the cheek, and, and you got it wrong. You, you were going for the handshake. They were going for the hug. You were going for the hug. They were going for the kiss, right? Awkward, right? Awkward, right? That's, they give that an 86% awkward. I would, too. How about saying goodbye to someone and then leaving in the same direction? Yeah, that's a little awkward. That's like cringeworthy, right? 53% awkward. I love this one because this, this happens. I was, I was real transparent in the 9 a.m. service. This happens. Have you ever went to introduce uh, somebody that you know, you went to introduce them to somebody else and you forgot their name? You just, all of a sudden you forgot their name? Yeah, that, that's like 97%. I'm going to give you 100% awkward for me as a pastor, okay? And, and some of you may, may be like, you've been in this awkward situation with me and I apologize. But there are just moments where, you know, like I know you and I know your name and I mean I could know you for years and you come down for prayer and I'm praying for you and all of a sudden your name just goes right out of my head. And at that moment I'm like, dear Jesus, I just pray for brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, right? Because you just can't, you like the name is just, I just pray for brother or sister, I just pray your hand on this brother, I just pray your hand on this sister, right? Like 100% awkward. Now you're going to come down for prayer. And if I do that, you're going to go, you forgot my name. Just whisper it to me, okay? Help me out. Give me a little grace, right? Awkward. Sometimes there are just some cringeworthy, awkward situations. And, and I think that, it, you know, around holiday times or different times where there's just awkward family members, whatever. I think there have been times we've had some pretty awkward maybe dinner or social interactions or times where you were invited maybe with a coworker, or maybe something you didn't know somebody else was showing up. And it was just like, 
man, this is just awkward. Well, today in our, in our series, Dinner with Jesus, we're going to be taking a look at a, 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 a meal that Jesus had. He was invited over to somebody who was called the ruler of the Pharisees, the ruler of the Pharisees. And, and, and it wasn't, they weren't welcoming him because they liked Jesus. They were welcoming him because they wanted to trap Jesus and, uh, and they, wanted to, they wanted him to do something wrong. So they invited him over. And it, all the way around, it was just a very awkward dinner dinner conversation, very awkward dinner from, from start to finish. It was just, it was awkward. And, and most of it, it was because Jesus made it awkward. Jesus made it awkward. You're like, Jesus and awkward, how could you say that? Legitimately, though, I think that this story could be re, rebranded, Jesus, the awkward dinner guest. Jesus, the awkward dinner guest. And, and, and so we're, 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 in, we're in, the, in the book of Luke. We've been going through the book of Luke because Luke's been all about meals and dinners. Jesus is either going to a meal, he's at a meal, he's, he's leaving a meal. And we've been, we've been looking at these meal situations and pulling out some of the things that are in there uh, because Jesus was all about meals. He liked to go to parties, he liked to eat. We're going to find out that God also likes parties and likes to put on a fest feast for people. God likes to put on a feast, he likes to put on a banquet. So we're in Luke chapter 14. So if you have your copy of God's Word, come with me to Luke chapter 14, and, and I'm not going to read the whole text. We're going to read, we're going to focus on the parable at the end, so the climax of this entire dinner, but I want to walk you through the awkwardness of this dinner because it just, it starts a little uneasy, and then it gets a little more awkward as the story goes along. So let me give you a little bit of an overview, then we're going to dive in, and we're going to get into this parable, and we're going to really see this, but I want you to see the summary and the layers of awkwardness here. First, Jesus again is invited to the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. Now, how many remember I said last week, the Pharisees did not like Jesus. They didn't like Jesus. They didn't understand him. He hung out with people who were unclean, people they didn't think you should hang out with. He accepted them and hung out with them and ate with them like the tax collectors and the sinners. And Jesus did, did some things that just made them uneasy. They had a hard time uh, with, with Jesus seeing him as a, uh, not only a prophet or somebody from God, let alone the Messiah. And so they, they were just really struggling with us. But nevertheless, Jesus is invited to this party of the ruler of the Pharisees. And the reason that he's invited is because they are keeping an eye on him. Have you ever been in a situation where, where you knew that somebody just had their eye on you? Maybe it was at work or maybe it was, maybe you were in school and you just weren't the person that had the greatest reputation with the teacher and you just felt like your every move was being examined and you couldn't move without there being a problem. Am I the only one that's ever been in that situation before? I mean, he was under the microscope. So already you got a situation where, where it's a little bit intense. It's a little bit intense. And then all of a sudden, a man shows up who's got a problem. He's got a physical problem. They call it, in some translations, they call it dropsy. It's what we would call today as edema. It's when your body kind of fills up with fluid and, and you're kind of all puffy. And, and, you know, so now you've got this guy with an edema. So he's an unclean guy. He's the ruler of the Pharisees. There's this meal. And this guy shows up with dropsy or this edema in there. And Jesus has to draw attention to it. So Jesus draws attention, and Jesus, if you're reading through the story, Jesus says, is it right to heal this man on the Sabbath or not? And nobody answers him. It's silent like it is now. Nobody gives an answer. Awkward silence. Awkward silence. It, it's kind of an awkward moment. It's kind of like how Charlie Boyd, he tries to capture the, the awkwardness of this situation. <clears throat> Excuse me, and he wrote this, folks. May I have your attention for a minute, please? Old Waldo here, he has a real bad back, and it hurts him worse than a toothache. 
So if you're okay with it all, I'm going to plop him up here on the table in front of everyone, and we're going to do a little healing on old Waldo, all right? Silence. All right, Mr. Smithenheimer, if you could please move the roast down to the other end of the table, please. Waldo's a pretty big boy. Waldo, come on, let's get you right up here on this table. Let's lay you back down. Watch your shoelaces. They don't get in the mashed potatoes, please. Right? I mean, awkward, right? Awkward. That's not the story in the Bible. That's just a fun way to be able to do it. But that's kind of the idea. And in the middle of this dinner, right in the middle of this dinner, Jesus then draws attention to a man who has a problem. He needs healing. It's the Sabbath day. You're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath day. He's got people that are intensely looking at him. And what does Jesus do? Jesus pokes the bear. Boop, boop. Oh, here's this guy. Hey, watch. It's the Sabbath. Should I heal him or not? Watch this. And he heals this man of dropsy. And the guy leaves. And there's just, there's all of a sudden just this tension that is building in the room building at the dinner party and if that if 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 that's where it stopped okay there's just a little tension there and Jesus healed on the Sabbath and you should then then Jesus makes it more awkward because Jesus starts lecturing all of the dinner guests the host has invited these people over and Jesus starts lecturing the dinner guests why because when they came in some of them decided that they wanted the best seats of the house. They wanted the best seats of the table. And so positionally, they started moving. They started vying for the attention. And I'm going to get this seat. And I'm going to get in this seat. And Jesus goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I see what y'all are doing. Listen, you got it all wrong. You got it all. You need to take the, the lower seats. You need to humble yourselves. You all got pride. He starts lecturing on pride. You need to take the lower seats so that when the host comes in, he can, he, he can say to everybody, oh, no, 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 no. This is culturally. That's what they did. You, they, would, they would move you up. If you were somebody important, they wanted you to sit in a certain spot. Kind of like when you go to, to dinner and people have the little name cards. Anybody do that? You have the little name cards. You know where you want everybody to sit. And you want this person to sit by this person. This is kind of the name card. And so, so they would come in and, they, and he said, no, no, no. You take the lower seat and then you humble yourself. And then when the host comes in, you will be honored because he'll say, no, no, no. Why are you sitting down here? You move up here. If you choose the best seat and somebody comes in and they are higher ranking than you, for less, lack of a better term, then what the host is going to do is the host is going to say, hey, hey, you got to move out of this guy's seat. It's kind of like some of you when you go to the, when you go to the queue you go to the Cavs game or go something like that and you don't really you have the high nosebleed seats but you want that you notice there's a couple of seats down front right I mean courtside and you sneak your way down courtside and you're hoping that that person is not showing up to the game you know what I'm talking about and it's all embarrassing when they show up and you all of a sudden have to get up and you go yeah I really didn't have a ticket to be down here Jesus starts lecturing the dinner guests. If it's not awkward enough, he's lecturing the dinner guests and then the next thing he does he begins to lecture the host and he says to the host, listen, your invitation list, it's all wrong. Because the people that you invite are the people that can pay you back. This was a payback culture. This was a, a culture of reciprocation. This was a culture that, that if you invited somebody uh, to come over for dinner, they were obligated then to invite you over for dinner. So who were you inviting over for dinner? You were inviting the people that were, you know, they were up in the social class. They were the people that had a name. Because then when you were invited over to their house, because you invited them to yours, and they had to reciprocate, now all of a sudden you were honored. And Jesus starts lecturing. He says, listen, don't invite those people. You need to invite the lame and the crippled and the blind you you need to invite these folks to the table 
And so you've got this whole thing where Jesus has now, he, he has now made, it was already a little awkward when he walked in because they didn't really welcome him. Have you ever walked to a place where you shouldn't, you didn't, we weren't really wanted, but they invited you anyway out of obligation or whatever reason they did. And now all of a sudden you did something you weren't supposed to do and, and you interrupted the dinner party by healing some man on the Sabbath you weren't supposed to. And then you start lecturing the dinner guests. Then you start lecturing the host. I mean, you are just, I mean, I'm just around the table. I'm just sure everybody's like, what is going on? And in that moment, right, there's always somebody that feels like they have to say something to break the silence and to just make it better, right? If that's your neighbor, don't, don't turn and look at him right now. That's awkward. Don't turn and look at him right now. All of a sudden, there's somebody who's got to speak up. Luke 14, 15. Here's we go. This is going to kick off our passage. Luke 14, 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat in the kingdom of God. Blessed is everyone who will eat in the kingdom of God. Come on, Jesus, you got to agree with that, right? Come on, Pharisees, you got to agree with that. Come on, I'm just going, I'm, I'm, we're going we're gonna to kumbaya, we're going to bring this all, this has been really awkward, we're going to bring this all. Blessed is everyone who will eat in the kingdom of God. Man, he just, but guess what, he failed. <laughs> Because Jesus now launches into a parable where he's about to make a, and he's about to make an awkward situation even a little bit more awkward as he begins to teach some principles about the kingdom of God that go against the grain of, of, of the social understanding, of the religious understanding. He, he flips everything and turns it over on its head using this particular parable it's just absolutely amazing so what I want you to know because I said Jesus the awkward dinner guest but what I want you to know Jesus is not being he's not being insensitive socially okay he's not being insensitive socially he's not an insensitive social guest but what we're meant to see is is that the kingdom of God is radically different than the way that we tend to operate the kingdom of God is different than the way we operate. It's, it, it's not just sometimes a little bit different. It's awkwardly different. In fact, if Jesus were to show up in, in our American culture, in American church culture, I bet that we might have a, some problems with some of the things that Jesus would bring up or that Jesus would push against. There would be some things that Jesus would say and we'd go, Hey, wait a minute, I don't think that's in there. I don't think that's right. The kingdom of God is radically different. It's not just politically incorrect. Sometimes it's religiously incorrect. Amen. In fact, a third of Jesus' teachings were in the form of parables. And they give us a glimpse in the way that God operates differently than we do. And if we pay attention to these, they'll challenge us in the way that we would normally think, and they will turn our world upside down. So in this parable, we're going to read this parable together. We're going to read it section by section because there are three sets of characters. Three sets of characters. I can be a character today. Three sets of characters. We're all, you know, and in this, we're going to take a look. And in the height of the awkwardness of this dinner party, there's some things that we want to learn about God. And there's some things that we can learn about ourselves in here, about God and ourselves. So let's examine these three characters. The first character is God. And God is the banquet host. God is the banquet host. So let's, let's go ahead and read this parable right in the beginning. Luke chapter 14. That guy just said, blessed is everybody who eats and drinks in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says this in verse 16. But he said to him, a man once 
gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the, excuse me, at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Well, when you take a look at this parable and you say, okay, well, who's the man who, who is giving the great banquet? If you read through, you're going to see that God is. Jesus is responding to this guy about blessed is those who eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, it's not just bread. I'm going to tell you about a God who has a banquet. I'm going to tell you about a man who's preparing a banquet. His name is God. God is preparing a banquet. I'm going to give you a little story here. And the man in the story is God. And God is providing a great banquet. And God has been making the preparations. He sends out the invites. He has the RSVP. And, and now the banquet is ready. God is throwing a party. And God is inviting many people. And later we're just going to see about how many people God's inviting. I don't know what picture of God you have in your mind. Sometimes we have a tendency to, to look at God as being stern or serious. And yet when I look through scriptures, God is a God who loves to celebrate as well. He loves to put on feasts. He loves to encourage feasting among his people. He loves to encourage banquets and eating and feasting among his people. I'm not getting a whole lot of amens because some of you, maybe you're not hungry enough yet. I'm telling you. And Jesus gives a glimpse of a, of a party that God is throwing one day. There's a party that is coming. There is a party that God is throwing. There is a banquet that God is, that, that God is throwing. There is a marriage supper that be, is being prepared. And there are invitations that have gone out and that are going out. And throughout Scripture, God is someone who is, who is seen as someone who delights in us. And oftentimes that delight is with a celebration and a feast with good food. God's a party-throwing God. David Goodley says this, the metaphor of feasting as distinct from merely eating meals assures us that no true potential appetite, desire, or longing given us by God will prove to have been a deception, but all will be granted their richest and most sublime fulfillment. I love that. And what we learn from the parable is, is that God is planning a party and invitations. There are those who were invited. Invitations have gone out. God isn't just giving us something that will sustain us. He did that when the in a previous chapter talked about the, the, the feeding of the 5,000. And, and, and there's significance to that, that God does provide food to sustain us. But this is about a banquet. It's going to be lavish. It's going to have good food to it. And it's not just going to fill your physical belly, but God has come to nourish your soul. God has come to satisfy your soul. It's not just about satisfying a physical hunger, but it's about finally having a soul satisfaction. Throughout the Bible, these are some of the pictures we get of God. Psalm 23 and verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. My head, or my, uh, excuse me, my enemies, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. That doesn't sound just like a little bit. God is generous. God is preparing a table. God is preparing a feast. Isaiah 25, 6. <clears throat> On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make all the peoples a feast, uh, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. Oh, come on, somebody. That's a picture, right? 
That's a picture not just physically, spiritually, God preparing a feast. Isaiah 55, 1, he encourages, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy mine, wine and milk without money and without price. This is not an isolated theme in Scripture, friends. Throughout Scripture, we oftentimes see that God is preparing a table. God is preparing a banquet. God is in the, in the business of, of, of celebrating around food there is a banquet that God is providing and there is food and a feast that God wants to give and he is sending invitations out my friends there's an important theme about food Tim Chester points out that the first act of rebellion against God was an act of eating it was an act of eating he writes this ever since that time our relationship with food goes wrong because our relationship with God has gone wrong Food is integral to our humanity, so it's no surprise to find that our brokenness shows up in our relationship to food. Think about it. Why do you think fasting is so important? That's why fasting is so important. But then he points this out. I love this. He said, against the backdrop of food gone wrong, God promises a feast. Again and again in the Bible, salvation is pictured as a feast with God. Come on, you got to get this. When God leads the Israelites out of Egypt, the leaders of the people are invited up to Mount Sinai to eat and drink with God, Exodus 24, 9 and 11. The rescue from slavery in Egypt, the defining act of Israelite identity itself is commemorated in a meal, the meal of Passover. At the high point of Israelite history in the reign of Solomon, we're told this in 1 Kings 4.20, that the people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They ate and they drank and they were happy. Even when things began to unravel, God promises another meal on a mountain, a feast with rich food for all people. On Isaiah 25, we read it in verse 6, six through 8. And in fact, if we kept reading Isaiah 25, it actually says this, on this occasion, death itself will be on the menu and God will swallow it up. That's good stuff right there. You don't believe me? Read Isaiah 25, 6 to 8. You'll see it in there. It's right there. It's in the book. It's like prego. It's in there. This is an eternal feast. Some of you, that just went right over your head. It's okay to laugh. This is an eternal feast. No one ever had to leave. Jesus provides a foretaste of this feast when he fed the 5,000. And, and, and here's a feast that will never end. Indeed, there's more food at the end than there was at the beginning. And, and it's a pointer to the fulfillment of God's promise that one day we will feast forever in his presence. We will feast forever in his presence. Come on, God's planning a celebration. God's planning a big party, friends. He's planning a great banquet. He is the host of the great banquet. And when Jesus Christ returns to set up his kingdom at the end of this age, when he sets it up, Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 6, tells us this. Then I heard what seemed like the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out hallelujah for the Lord our God the almighty reigns let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready who's the bride come on that's those who accept the invitation right the bride the bride and it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen bright and pure for the linen is the righteous deeds of the saints and the angel said to me write this write this write this down Blessed are those, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
And he said to me, these are the true words of God. In this parable, what we have is is Jesus talking about a banquet. He's talking about a great banquet that's being prepared. And I'm telling you, friends, God is the host of a great banquet that is being prepared. A kingdom that is coming and a banquet that is coming. And although that banquet is still to come, you and I still need to learn how to live in the kingdom principles of today. Our lives ought to reflect what the kingdom is like. So God is the banquet host. Number two, who's next? Those that are most likely to receive the invitation. Those that are most likely to receive the invitation. In fact, when we read, we're going to see they, they, they did receive the invitation. i got to be honest with you. Uh, weddings and, and invitations, and when you're setting up guest lists, if you're getting married, setting up guest lists, it, it's a little bit different today than what it used to be. Setting up guest lists. I mean, there's just, there's, you can just throw decorum and stuff out the window. I mean, it's just a little bit different. I don't quite understand it all. But, but, but let me just give you a little illustration. About last year or, or so, um, my wife and I, we received a, 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 a save the date. Our wedding's coming about six to nine months. Save the date. It wasn't an invitation to the wedding. It was just save the date. How many of you have ever gotten a save the date, send a save the date? A little save the date. So we stuck it up on our refrigerator and you know, to be honest with you, as time goes by, you kind of stick it up there and you kind of, you know, you kind of forget about it. And, and, and we looked at it and, 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 and we realized, man, that, that wedding's got to be coming up. And we realized we didn't get an invitation to the wedding. We got to save the date, but we never got an invitation to be able to, to RSVP. And it kind of, kind of threw us off a little bit. And we go, well, I, we got to save the date, but I guess we weren't really invited. And, and, and I guess what we came to find out, and I don't know, maybe some of you know this, and I just, um, in the dark, maybe I'm just old school, I just didn't realize it. I guess the, the, the wedding party had an A list and a B list. They sent, say, the dates out to everybody. Then they sent invites out to the A list. And, and if they weren't going to get enough responses of people being able to come to the A list, then they would send out the invitations to the B list. So you all are picking up on it. We were on the B list. Yeah, we were on the B list. We were B listers. So, you know, uh, in that way. That was just kind of weird. But in, in this particular parable, there, 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 there's something. God's throwing a party. God's throwing a party. He sent out invitations. But in this one, people of RSVP, these weren't save the dates. They were actual invitations. They were actual invitations that, that went out. And, and so, so who was Jesus inviting? Who's the most likely? Well, he'd probably be the preachers and the pastors and the, you know, people who regularly attend church, right? These are the religious people. Those who are the people of Jerusalem. They were the people that Jesus had come. He'd come to, to save. He was a Jewish Messiah, right? And, and, and he had sent out invitations. And throughout the Old Testament, there's prophecies about, about this invitation that has gone out for this banquet, invitations that have gone out. And so this is what it says in verse 17. At that time, for the ban- or at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. And the first said to him, I bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I I must go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I married a wife. Therefore, I, I simply cannot come. I married a wife. I, I cannot come. Right? I mean, some of you are laughing. You're like, these are crazy, crazy excuses here, right? The, the context is this. Listen, what would happen in that day and age is they, they, they would, when they were, they were getting ready to have a, a party like this, they were getting ready to, to have a banquet like this, if it was a wedding or something, they would send out the invitations, they would get the RSVPs, and based on the RSVPs, they would make all the, all the, all the arrangements and the plans. And when they had all the arrangements made, then they'd send the servant out to go and, invite, and tell the people the banquet's ready. The, the dinner is ready. This banquet is ready to go. Come on in. This was something they understood in their culture. So the invitations had already been RSVP. 
RSVP'd. But now when the banquet is ready, all of a sudden you've got people that are saying, oh, yeah, I know we said we could come, but something's come up and we really can't come. I, I know we said we could come, but, but there's really something else that is now more important than your dinner, more important than your than your banquet. That, that's really what is, what is happening here. And, and he's like, hey, the servant goes out. Hey, the party's ready. Come on. Come and join us. The party's ready. And they gave excuses. What are the excuses? Well, first excuse, if you, it, it, I bought a field. I got to go out and inspect it. Now, now, listen, this is absurd because if you bought a field, you have already gone out and inspected it. You, you would have already gone out and surveyed. Before you ever bought it, you would have gone out and you would have already looked at it. And, and everybody knows that. I mean, that's the obvious part of it. Everybody knows that. You wouldn't just buy a, a field sight unseen and then all of a sudden, I've got to go look at it and, and, and see it. It's an obvious lie and, and it really, it really an offense, uh, an insult to the party host. The second's the same way, five yoke of oxen. You know, hey, I bought these, you know, kind of like you guys. I, I bought a used car. Now today we can kind of see, well, I bought it over the internet and it's being delivered today by Vroom or something like that, you know, and I just got to really take it for a test drive because I didn't do that. Maybe that's a little bit of a possibility, but today you wouldn't have done that. You would have inspected the oxen. You wouldn't have bought them sight unseen. This is, this is like, this is again, this is just a silly excuse. It's an insult. And the third one, probably more than anything, even worse I married a wife, therefore I can't come. First of all, if you were newly married, if you were that newly married, you wouldn't have not accepted the invitation in the first place because the weddings and the wedding parties would have collided. They wouldn't have done that in that culture. I know today we do that. They wouldn't have done that in that culture. But secondly, beyond that, uh, uh, Tim Chester points out the marriage couldn't have been recent. Again, otherwise the wedding banquet would have clashed with that one. Moreover, to suggest that you're too busy with your wife would have been rude in a culture that is extremely discreet about women and sex. Furthermore, if you're to get married and you didn't want to come, you wouldn't have accepted the, 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 the invitation in the first place. W what Jesus is doing here is he's sharing some extreme excuses, lame excuses, to contrast this invitation that has gone out and these lame excuses about why people suddenly cannot come, cannot receive the invitation. Craig Bloomberg, uh, a leading scholar in parables, he said, what all three share is an extraordinary lameness. They're meant to strike the hearer as ridiculous to the point of absolute absurdity and any excuse for rejecting God's call into his kingdom. At that level of the story, the rejections are just barely conceivable. That's what Jesus is doing. We might not pick up on it, but that's what Jesus is doing. The point that he's making is, is that the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus, is right there with them. He is the servant of God saying, my father has prepared a banquet and the time has come and I am here now, the long-awaited Messiah, and you're making excuses. Remember back in Luke chapter 5, 34, Jesus said, can you make the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Is with them? The, the passage, the invited guests like the religious leaders, they, they reject the invitation to the banquet and they insult the host. And who is the host? God. By their rejection, they are insulting God. Why? Because to, they, they refuse to accept the invitation because they have prioritized stuff and other relationships or people over his invitation. They have prioritized stuff. They have prioritized material possessions. I got a field. I got to go look at it. 
I got a couple of oxen, five yoke of oxen. I got to go, go inspect them. That's more important than your banquet. I've got this relationship over here and these affections over here and these things over here. And that's way more important than you, God, and your kingdom and your invitation. Ken Hughes puts it like this. Jesus offers the kingdom a perpetual feast of peace, a feast of help, guidance, friendship, rest, victory over self, control over passions, supremacy over circumstances, a feast of joy, tranquility, deathlessness, heaven open, immeasurable hope, salvation. Yet people turn their backs on this feast, preferring a visit with their possessions and their affections. Mic drop. Right? Remember who's at this dinner party. The ruler of the Pharisees. Lest you want to look outside and point to everybody else who's not accepting the invitation. When he's talking about excuses, the excuses are those who, those who should know better. Those who have had the law. Those who have had the prophets. Those who should be looking and ready and waiting for when the servant says, when the servant goes out and says, come, come, the banquet's prepared, the banquet's ready, come. But instead they say, we're not ready yet, we're not ready yet. Oh, I hope Jesus doesn't come back yet because I've got this to do and this to do and I want to see this and I want to see this and I want to see this. I hope he doesn't come yet. Pastor, you're just being harsh. Am I? Because right now I'm ready. Come on, Jesus. Hey, come the day. I'm ready. I'm ready to go to the banquet. Are we ready? Are we readying ourselves or are we full of excuses? Are we ready ourselves? Are we ready for the invite when the servant comes or are we just people of excuses? The point is clear. Jesus is saying, you religious leaders, you are missing out. You are missing out on the greatest banquet of all. You're making all kinds of excuses, but you are missing out. You are missing out. You are missing out. What's your excuse? What excuses do you give God as to why you can't obey him? What excuses do you give God as to why you, you can't come when he invites you. There's a third, third group. And this is the least likely to receive the invitation. This is the least likely. This is anything but God's B list, by the way. I might have been on the B list of that wedding. But this is anything but God's B list. But in this day and age, you got to understand. It was that culture where I only invite you if you've got something to give back to me. If you can pay me back, that's the only reason that I'm going to invite you. But God isn't looking for paybacks. When God invites, he isn't looking for paybacks. Look at this. So the servant came, reported these things to his master, all these people that said, no, I got this excuse, I got that excuse. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what what you've commanded has been done and there is still room. Still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Shall taste, I could just hear Jesus emphasizing that, right? Shall taste my banquet. Shall taste my banquet. What's he saying? He says, you know what? If I've been insulted by these who, who I've invited who said they were coming, 
and they're not coming, I've been insulted by the host, guess what? Guess what? Guess what? My house will be full. My house will be full. There are plenty of invitations and there are plenty of open spots and there is plenty of room. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and I want you to find the very people that earlier in this story, in this passage, I told the host of the dinner, don't just invite people who are going to come and pay you back. You need to invite who? You need to invite who? It's the same list that's in this. It's the same exact list that's right here that Jesus said, go out and find them. The poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. This is who you invite. This is who you invite. Host, you didn't invite these people because they can't pay you back. But guess what? This is who my father is inviting. This is where the invitation is going. The invitation is not going to those who think they are worthy. The invitation are those going to those who know they are unworthy and they can't pay me back. But that's okay because I have all the payment they need and I've invited them to come and feast in my presence at my banquet. My banquet. My banquet. David Garland said, in the reign of God, the, ask, the outcast will no longer be the cast out. The outcast will no longer be the cast out. Come on, somebody. Joel Green said this, this householder will include, this householder will include anyone among his table guests. That is, that is no one too sullied, too wretched to be counted as a friend at the table. That's grace. That's grace. And you see it. Jesus set it all up. You thought you say, well, that was just a that was just a random guy with edema or dropsy at the beginning of the story, right? That that he, that that was there at the table that that wasn't really invited but showed up and and Jesus healed. That was just a random guy, right? No, 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 no. That was an open illustration right at the very beginning of the kind of people that God invites, the crippled that were in that list. God was saying, Jesus was saying, this is who I invite. This is who I invite. This is who I invite. There's still room. There's still room. This is who I invite. It's grace. It's grace, right? Mm. I love verse 22, and this is where I want to close. Worship team, will you come? <coughs> and the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done, and still there is room. And still, there is room. And still, there is room. I, I, don't, I don't know who you are this morning. I don't know why you braved the snow and why you showed up to church today. But I want you to know that there's an invitation that is for you this morning by Jesus Christ to his banquet table. There's an invitation to you. You say, but hold on a second. I'm unworthy. Hold on a second. I, you, you don't know me. I'm, man, I, you, don't, I, you, don't, you don't know what I did last night. You don't know what I did over the weekend. You don't know what I did last week. Listen, listen, Jesus does, and he loves you anyway, and he's extending his invitation to you to come to the table. He's extending his invitation to you to come to the banquet. There is still room in my house. There is still room in my house. Jesus wants to invite you to dinner, to a great dinner, to a great feast, and he says to you, listen, and I want you to come, and here's what I want you to bring. You can't pay me back, but here's, here's what I'll take. Here's what I'll take from you. I'm going to take your hurt, and I'm going to take your brokenness, and I'm going to take your sin, and I'm going to take your guilt, and I'm going to take your shame, and I'm going to take your fear, and I'm going to take your past, and I'm going to take your regret. I'm going to take all of those things, all those things that you recount in your mind as all the reasons why you can't come and you can't accept this invitation. Listen, here's what happened at the cross. If you give that 
that to me. I'm going to give to you healing and forgiveness. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give to you righteousness. You'll give me your sin, and I'm going to give you my righteousness. You're going you're gonna to give me your brokenness. You're going to give me your sorrow. You're going to give me your grief. And I'm going to give you my joy. And I'm going to give you my healing. You're going to come in my presence. And you're going to come empty. And I'm going to leave you. And you're going to leave full. You're going to come to me. And you're going to be dry and desolate. But guess what? You're going to walk out filled up and so full in my banquet that you're going to be rejoicing. Because that's the kind of God I am. I'm the God that, that says, I'm not looking for you to pay me back. I've already paid your debt. I've already paid your debt. I'm just waiting for you to come and give me your brokenness and give me your sin and give me your heart and allow me to give you my righteousness and my hope and my healing. Like, take, let me, give, me, give me your fear and I'm going to give you courage. Because there's an invitation and there's still room at my table for you. There's room at my table for you. But here's the key. You got to stop making excuses. You got to stop making excuses. What is more important than receiving the salvation that Jesus has to offer? What is more important? What material thing that is going to go out of date and blow away and six months from now, is it going to matter? What relationship are you hanging on to that can possibly more, be more important than your relationship with Jesus? You've been looking for satisfaction. You've been trying to find some way to heal the hurt to, to find, I'm telling you what you're looking for, it's Jesus. And he's got an invitation, and it's got your name on it. You can make excuses, or you can simply come and say, thank you, Jesus. I receive your grace. I'm unworthy, I receive your grace. There's an invitation. There's an invitation Will you come? Can we stand right now? Can we just stand in this place? And if there's an invitation, maybe you've been making excuses, but it's time to come back. Maybe it's time to come back to Jesus. Maybe you knew him at one time, but you are not living like you know him. Maybe you, you're not living, but he's given you the invitation again, and he's saying, come. Will you come to my banquet? Maybe you need to give Jesus your life for the first time. Maybe you've never given it. You've never made that exchange. I want you out of your seat. I want you to come down, and I want you to find a place to pray right now. We're going to cry out to the Lord today right now. That's you. If that's you, if you're watching online, I want you to begin to tell us. You can email info at PainesvilleAG.com. We're going to get back with you. We want to pray with you. Come on. The invitation is for you. If you need Jesus, if you need to return to Jesus, if you're tired of the excuses, will you come? Will you come? If you need Jesus, this morning. Maybe you need to give him your life. Will you come right now? Will you come right now? Come on. Come on. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Father, we're tired of the excuses right now. We're tired. We don't want to give any more excuses. We come to your table. We come to the banquet that you have. God, we come right now and we ask you, Jesus, that we would get rid of the, we would get rid of all of our excuses and we would humble ourselves, God. We would, we would come before you humbly and we say, Jesus, this is all I have. All I have, I come. This is all I have, but I receive your invitation right now. I receive your invitation right now. I receive your invitation right now. 
I receive it. Come. Come right now. Right now, deal with God. Whatever excuses, deal with the Lord right now. Whatever excuses and receive his invitation. We just receive it right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.